All right, well, it is um, it's good to be back. As many of you know, we were on vacation uh, last week, and of course, when our family goes on vacation, we get sick. That is just what we do, um, but we, we are glad. We are glad to be back. Um, we are continuing on in our sermon series, uh, Grace Under Fire. Uh, just briefly what the rest of the summer looks like. We're going to be wrapping this up next week. Then we're doing a short series on how, how Christians grow. And then in the fall, we're going to jump back into the book of Matthew. We got about a third of the way through it. We got about another year and a half to get through it. Um, but yeah, we spent some kind of topical time this summer looking at different facets. This week, we're looking at grace. Uh, with that said, I would love to pray, and then we will dive into it. Uh, Lord God, I, I pray, God, for each person here. Um, and this includes myself. God, help us to grasp the sufficiency of your grace for us. God, your grace is sufficient for us in every area, every aspect of our lives, God. God, even especially what we're going to talk about today, uh, in, in our weakness, God, your grace is sufficient for us. And actually our weakness is, is, according to Scripture, should be a reminder of our need for your grace. God, and, and, and we are going to see that within uh, that, God, we find strength, not in our own strength, but in your strength, God. God, I, I pray that this is a truth we grasp hold of this morning and can take with us and apply to our lives in the weeks, months, and years to come. We thank you. We pray all this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, we all go through seasons of life where we feel weak. Uh, I know some of you are coming off of COVID and you, uh, and you have felt weak. Um, and, but this could be a, a physical weakness, emotional weakness, mental weakness, spiritual weakness. And either way, God says uh, that his strength is made perfect in human weakness in Scripture, and his grace is always sufficient for us in every season. And as we've talked about God's grace throughout the series, I've said a few times that God's grace is like a diamond. It's, it's beautiful, it's multifaceted, we can study it for our whole lives and never fully grasp and understand the beauty and the complexity and the amazing nature of God's grace. Oftentimes, as what we've kind of focused in on in this series, is God's grace is felt most clearly in the midst of fire, trials, difficulties in our life. And we've talked about and unpacked in this series how God uses the fires, the trials of life to refine us, to refine what he's already given us, to refine our faith through his grace. Now, we've all talked about a little bit about uh, some experiences of that in my life, right? I talked about my high school experience and that uh, a breaking moment of despair where I came to faith. God used that trial to bring me to faith. I've talked about my mom's cancer. She's had cancer three times. And God has used that to refine our family and draw us deeper to him through his grace. But not all of those moments, uh, not all of our refining moments are, are these, big, these big things. Some of them can be smaller. God can use small things in your life to refine you. Example of this. So when I, before I was married, uh, I moved into an apartment with two other guys. 
who I knew and I thought this was a good idea. And so I had two roommates. Let's say one roommate was really, really good, and the other roommate, not so much. So this one roommate that I live with, God used this in my life to refine me. So I moved in and basically found out his girlfriend was practically basically living there. Her clothes were there. She was there all the time. Step, strike one. Then his brother moved in uh, and was living there rent-free, and he was eating all of my food. <laughs> like, all of it. Like, I would get up in the morning and, and like, it's gone. Like, and then his friend moved in. So you have his girlfriend, his brother, and his friend all living there rent-free. Now, I'm a stickler for rules, and this drove me insane. Not only that, he did weird stuff. He ended up being a weird guy. For example, we're sitting outside of this little courtyard area the apartment complex had, and we're eating dinner together. We had a barbecue, and he starts talking about how he has athlete's foot. And I'm going, What? And then he says, but don't worry, I've been peeing on my feet in the shower because that's supposed to take care of it. And I'm going, the shower, the one I use, that one. I'm going to shower outside, I guess, from now on. He's just weird. But here's the thing. This person, I know without a shadow of a doubt, made me more patient. I wanted to kill him. I mean, I wanted some days. But it made me more patient it made me more kind. It made me more humble. I was able to put up with stuff. Stuff. God worked on some things in our lives, or in my life. And here's what I learned. Trials do that for us. Henry Ward Beecher uh, uh, says this. Speaking of this, he says, No physician ever weighed out a medicine to his patients with half so much care and exactness as God weighs out to us every trial. Not one grain too much does he ever permit to be put in the scale. God perfectly weighs out your trials for a purpose in your life. Today we're going to unpack a section of scripture where we're going to dig into Paul's story and a time of refinement in his life. And if you know anything about Paul, you probably know uh, he wrote to a bunch of different churches in the New Testament that he helped plant and start and establish he was influential in spreading the gospel literally all over the known world. And he had an amazing personal encounter in Acts 9. Go, go read that today. It's incredible. So although Paul has this amazing, miraculous, powerful testimony, he was actually a real problem at one point. He was persecuting the church before he met Jesus, and Jesus radically changed him and transformed him into a Christian. Paul's life journey is this amazing story of God's grace. And because we have so many of his writings, he wrote much of the New Testament, we get actually this unique view and glimpse in, into the life of Paul. His triumphs, but not just his triumphs, his deep, dark moments as well. And I think God did that intentionally for us. Today we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians where we're going to pick up Paul's story and we're going to talk a little bit about the thorn in his flesh I mentioned a couple weeks ago. So we're going to be going in our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. I will have it up on the screen, but if you want to follow along, that's 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. 
So Paul says this. He says, I must go on boasting. Though there's nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which, may not, uh, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, no one really knows what this thorn in the flesh Paul is talking about. But every time I read this passage, I think of this. So I saw this meme probably seven, eight years ago, and... I equally hate SpongeBob, apparently, as much as Paul does, right? But he's, Paul's in prison. He's writing uh, one of his letters, and SpongeBob is driving him absolutely nuts. And he's writing, I've got a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan, right? But here's the thing. That's not what's going on in Paul's life. Paul has a serious issue going on. He has a serious issue. Paul is a tough, tough guy. So tough that at one point in time they tried to stone him to death and he survived and got right back up and kept on doing ministry. He's not a complainer. He's not a whiner. This isn't SpongeBob. This is something serious going on in Paul's life. But we see in this text that though he is going through a serious trial, this fire, this refining moment, um, we, we have a lot to learn from him. You see, and here's what we need to get. When we understand that God's grace sustains us each and every day, when we understand that truth, I think there's three things we learn from Paul that are really, really important. When we understand that God's grace, that it is the grace of God in our lives that is sustaining us through fires and trials, we must deepen our prayer life. We must deepen our prayer life. Did you notice what Paul says right before the climactic moment of this passage? He says in verse 8, it says this. This is a tough guy, Paul. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Three times. I want you to notice something. Three times Paul didn't ask the Lord. He pleaded. 
Pleaded is a strong word. Church, when was the last time you wanted something so badly from God you begged or pleaded? When was that? When was the last time that you went back to the Lord again and again and again and again, pleading in prayer? That's what Paul is doing, asking for help, asking for provision, asking for healing, potentially. Parents, we know, we've seen pleading firsthand in our lives. If you've ever gone to Walmart or Target, and you turn the corner, and you had young kids, and you see the toy aisle, you have seen the pinnacle of pleading and begging, right? What happens? It's, I need that Lego set. I need this. I have to have that. I want this. I remember one time when Lisa and I first got married, I was at Target shopping by myself, and I was in the men's clothing section, and I heard this blood-curdling screaming, and, and I thought a shelf fell on someone or something, and I, and I run over there to assist, and there is a child laying on the ground, screaming at the top of their lungs, snot flying, spit flying, I want Legos! And I look at the mom, and the mom looks at me, and her eyes are this big. She has no idea what to do. But this word pleading is a very powerful, strong word that we see in the text. It is, he's not just asking, he's pleading. He's going over and over and over again. Right? We did this as kids when you wanted something. You were jealous of what someone else had. You begged your parents, promising, oh, if I only got this one thing, I wouldn't ask ever again. This is an imperfect example, but this is the picture of what Paul is doing. He is very, very much wanting his situation to change. He's earnestly pleading with God. He cries out to the Lord in prayer three times, begging God to take away the thorn in his flesh. Right, remember, this is one of the toughest guys around. He gets stoned, and he doesn't die, and he gets back up and continues on in ministry. Well, what we can assume, whatever it was, it was a painful, limiting situation for Paul. I think this is a physical ailment of some type. Maybe it's a mental or emotional pain. I don't know. Regardless... The scenario is relatable to us, I'm sure, here today. Have you ever experienced the kind of pain in your life that you've gone to God over and over and over and asked for him to take it away? That could be a loss of a loved one, a physical ailment, something going on, emotional, relational strain, and you've done what Paul's done. You've pleaded with God. All all this to say, my, my question for you today is this. Are we begging God for the right things? Are we begging God for the right things? There's a frequently misunderstood verse in the New Testament that relates to this very topic. We find it in John 14, 13, which says this. It says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now, if you had a surface-level understanding of this verse, we would probably be really confused why God didn't merely take away the thorn in Paul's flesh when he cried out. Paul's a man of faith. He's doing amazing things for God. You can assume he's praying in the Spirit in Jesus' name as he prays. But this, I would argue, is a misunderstanding of this verse. 
Instead, I believe Jesus is helping us see that asking something to be done in his name is doing so according to his will and plan. In Paul's case, God seemed to have a higher purpose behind the pain he was facing than just taking it away. And so, even though Paul was praying earnestly, pleading with God, God's plan and purpose for the pain was bigger than taking it away. For some of you this morning, you have a thorn in your flesh that you have been begging God to take away, and God is saying, I have a purpose for that pain that is greater than removing it, than taking it away. But we're going to see God's grace is going to sustain you through that. In our stories today, God uses our pain for purposes that, frankly, frankly we often don't understand. And, and, and here's the thing. God doesn't waste any of your pain. He doesn't just give you situations and trials and just waste it. He's always doing the best possible thing in that situation. And it's hard for us to understand that. And, and, and I get that. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 says this. This is God speaking. God says, when you don't understand something, he's saying, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts, your thoughts. Clearly, God has a purpose behind Paul's pain. His grace is sufficient and, and sustaining for Paul throughout the pain, which means Paul had to learn the same thing we must learn today, which is my second point. Paul had to learn this. He had to learn to be weak. He had to learn to be weak. Now, I said that, and some of you, immediately the hair on your neck bristled. You said, whoa, 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 I don't, what? And this probably sounds a bit backwards to you, but we're going to see that actually when we learn to be weak and rely on Jesus, we're strong. But in order to allow God's grace to, to truly sustain us, to, to rest in the grace of God and rely on the grace of God, we must learn to identify and accept our weaknesses. Or as Paul says, even to boast about them. It isn't a shameful thing to recognize the areas in which we are weak. In fact, many of us would agree that it's a strength to know where our deficiencies lie. And I give you an illustration of this. Now, some of you, you've filled out a job recommendation or, or a recommendation for someone to go to college. And you always get asked one question when you do that. There's one that's going to be guaranteed on there. What is it? What's their strengths and weaknesses? Every time. What are their strengths? I filled up dozens of those. What are their strengths and weaknesses? The question is always there. Now, everyone has weaknesses, so why are they asking that question? I think part of it is they're trying to see if that person is self-aware and aware of their own weaknesses. We can't work on what we don't know, right? Spiritually speaking, our, our weak areas keep us humble. Paul recognizes this, and we should too. If we didn't have any weaknesses, we would be perfect, and I'm the only one perfect here today. I barely got a laugh. Wow, that's... Just talk to Lisa, right? Talk to my wife. She'll tell you that's not true. No one here this morning is perfect, including me. Not even close. We must understand our weaknesses so we can grow spiritually. 
And here's the good news. God's power is strong enough not only to meet us in our weaknesses, but also to use us in spite of those weaknesses. We talked about this a few weeks ago, Exodus 4.10. This is Moses speaking. God's called Moses to go we just talked about this all week, right? To go to the nation of Egypt and bring his people. And God's going to speak through him. But Moses says this, Oh Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. But I'm slow of speech and tongue. I'm weak, God. I can't do it. Moses, this man of faith who accomplished amazing things for God, confessed his many weaknesses to God. And yet, seemingly, because he was willing to acknowledge his weaknesses to God, Moses found true strength and ability in the power of God because he was reliant on God alone. God continually uses those who are weak to do amazing things. God used David as a little shepherd boy who was about four feet tall and 80 pounds to slay the giant. Was it David's power? No, it was God's power working through David, and David slayed the giant. God used Elijah, even though he struggled with depression and could barely even move at times. He couldn't even hardly grasp his call. Yet God used Elijah to turn the nation of Israel back to God. God used Peter, even though he struggled with doubt and fear and shame, and he used him in spite of his weakness to establish the church in the New Testament. Which brings me to my third point is this. When we are weak, we find true strength. When we're weak, we find true strength. When we are weak, we rely on God. God's grace sustains us even in our weaknesses so we find true strength because true strength doesn't come from within but it comes from God it doesn't come from inside of you it comes from God this is the climax of our passage in 2nd Corinthians when Paul writes these words he's speaking about God's power Jesus is answering his prayer when he's pleading about taking away the thorn in his flesh. Jesus says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm not taking it away. It says in verse 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. My grace, the grace of God, Paul, the grace I've given you is sufficient for you, Paul. It's all you need. It's everything you need. And I'm giving you all you need plus some. And my power is going to work for you even in your weakness. What an incredible promise that is. If you have God's grace, you have all you need. If you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have the grace of God working in every second, every moment, every minute of your life, everything God calls you to do, you have the power to do it. And you're not even being reliant on yourself, you're reliant on God, who can do all things. He's the creator and sustainer of everything. All atoms in the universe hold together in his power. He made everything. Everything is sustained through his will. And he says, I am going to work in your life through my power in spite of your weakness. It's amazing grace. The greatest picture of this grace can be seen in the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ all those years ago. 
Jesus traveled the impossible path for us on the cross, dying for our sin, taking away our sin and our shame and our disgusting, dirty sin habits and renewing us in Christ, making us a new creation. He paid the penalty for us. He was beaten for us. He was scourged and bleaten into a bloody pulp. He wasn't even recognized. He was humiliated. He was abandoned, and he was eventually killed for you so you can experience God's grace. All by the hands of the very people who came to save, they killed him. Our sin is a sin that held him there. It was grace that Jesus gave himself for the redemption of mankind so we could experience the grace and love of God in our lives. It was grace that sustained him when the journey became difficult and even impossible. Because Paul also experienced God's strength amid his own weaknesses, he is able to boast all the more in his weakness instead of his strength. You see, church, your strength may be failing. In fact, I would say it's spiritually dangerous to do ministry, to live the Christian life in your own strength. If you are trying to do what God has called you to do each day in your own strength, you are going to fail. You're not going to be able to do it. If God's calling you to reach the neighbor next door with the gospel and you're trying to do it in your own power, it's not going to happen. If God's trying to, calling you to raise your kids in the ways of Jesus in a culture that's completely anti-Christ, if you're trying to do that in your own power, you're not going to be able to do it. But in God's power, you can. In God's power, you can. I have seen people try to do things in their own power in the church, and it never, ever works out. We need God's power working in us. Please hear me when I say this. You and I, left to ourselves, are not strong enough to accomplish anything noteworthy in the kingdom of God. Jesus said this in John 15, 5. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. But here's what I want you to get this morning. If you get anything... Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing, but with Jesus, you can do everything. With God's grace working in your life, you can do absolutely everything God calls you to do. He has equipped you fully through the power of Jesus. This kind of mindset helps us preserve through the pain of our lives, through those setbacks, through those trials, when we're relying on God and not on ourselves. Paul takes it a step further and even says he takes pleasure in the insults, the hardships, the persecutions, and troubles he suffers for the sake of Christ's name. Are you willing to make this decision as well? The persecutions we face don't look like Paul, but I promise you there's persecution coming in this country that is going to continue to escalate. It has been escalating every year for 20 years, and I think it's only going to get worse. But... For us, instead of getting upset and being angry about that, we can live within the empowering love of God's grace to fulfill the mission he's called us to fulfill as a church and as a people. We can stand firm in the faith in Jesus Christ and the grace of God because we understand even when we are weak, God is strong. As we close today, Maybe the comment made by Jesus to Paul is the very thing you need to recite constantly this week. Actually, I think it is the very thing. I want you to go home this week. My big takeaway is take 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9, and memorize it. Memorize it, tuck it away in your mind, tuck it away in your heart, because you're going to need it every day. You're going to need to know that God's grace is sufficient for you. 
You're going to need to know that even in your weakness, you are able to accomplish what God has called you to accomplish. Isn't it true that so many of us here, missed a slide, sorry. Isn't it true that so many of us here today are striving and striving, we're trying to do things in our own power, and we believe, God, if I just do it better, or I do more, I have more success, or God, if I do this, I'm going to please you more, we're going to somehow gain God's favor and blessing, and he's going to work in us more. If this is your mindset, then any weakness is seen as a hindrance, a roadblock to achieving all God wants you to achieve. But what if that's not the way God works? What if that's not what he wants from your life? What if he's already fully pleased with you if you were in Christ Jesus? And instead of striving to make him happy, you, you rest in that reality and the outflow of your life comes from that. Our weakness keeps us humble. It keeps us from getting too self-righteous, too self-absorbed, and too focused on me. So I want you to take some time this coming week to thank God for the weakness in your life as Paul did. Identify them, write them down and pray through them with God. Spend some time talking with God as Paul did. Try to recognize where God has been with you in the midst of your weakness and where his grace has sustained you even within those weaknesses. Parents, you know you're weak every day you get up and you're reliant on the grace of God. If that is you, Thank God for sustaining you in your weakness. Take some time just to thank Jesus for his amazing grace in your life and memorize 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Tuck that away in your heart. So far the series, we've looked at how God's grace is with us. We've looked at how God's grace is for us. Today we looked at how God's grace sustains us. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your sustaining grace. The firm foundation of Jesus will never be shaken if you are in Christ. It is the firmest of foundations if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are a part of his family adopted in. God, we've experienced your amazing grace. God, help us to understand the truth that even in our weaknesses, even in our trials, even when, when we're going through difficult situations, God is there with his grace sustaining us. And not only that, he, he even works through the challenges of our life to accomplish amazing things, to use us, to mold us, to shape us into the image of Jesus, to, to make us into a tool in the hands of God to be used as God pleases. God, help us to understand and grasp that. Thank you that you love us just the way we are, that you sent your son Jesus to die for us on our behalf and redeem us and restore us and make us a new creature in Christ. We thank you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.